is now a pleasure to welcome to the program Congressman Darren LaHood joining us. Of course, we've had uh, a lot of action out in Washington and much more to come in the COVID-19 response, but he's also keeping an eye on what's happening back here at home as well. Congressman, thanks for taking the time. Great to talk to you. Hey, Jim, always good to be with you and your listeners. Where are you joining us from today? I am in Peoria today. Okay. Uh, tell me how, how this has been going for you uh, as we've all been under the, the stay-at-home orders, businesses restricted. Uh, have you been basically just staying at home with the family? I know you've had a little bit of time out on, on Capitol Hill, but what's life been like for you over these last couple months? Yeah, so uh, similar to what a lot of other people have been doing, we've been kind of hunkered down at home. My wife and I have three teenage boys, which, which has been a, a bit of a challenge, but we've been safe and healthy. I've traveled back to Washington, D.C. four times over the last six weeks to support uh, the the four packages that we voted on and passed in a bipartisan way. And then, of course, Jim, um, I'm on a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of conference calls, a lot of Skype calls. And uh, obviously the face-to-face interaction that many elected officials have on a daily basis, that has changed. Uh, and so you, it's been disruptive and challenging and, and difficult in some ways, but We've adapted uh, and still got to communicate and, and talk to folks in the district. And then I would just say, lastly, um, talking to a lot of small businesses, uh, health care providers and people that are affected by the health crisis and the economic crisis and making sure that we're doing everything possible in Washington, D.C., uh, to help on both of those crises. I want to come back to Washington's response in a moment, but I know you have been uh, a little bit critical of what the state has done. You have urged the governor to reopen things more quickly and to have smaller regions and, and to do some of that. The governor, of course, says that the, the state's response has kept a bad situation from getting a whole lot worse. So overall, what would you say about how Illinois has handled this pandemic? Well, first of all, um, 75% of the state of Illinois is farmland, and uh, we need to be treated accordingly in downstate Illinois. Other states are going in a tiered approach, the phased approach, recognizing that in downstate Illinois, we, we didn't have the infection rates or the cases that other urban areas like Chicago have. Good example, I represent Quincy, Illinois, uh, a community of 40,000 people right across from Hannibal, Missouri. You know, two days ago, Missouri opened up. You can go over there and get your hair cut. You can go in there and get a burger at a restaurant. You go across the bridge to Quincy, which has had hardly any cases. Uh, but, but beyond that, they put in place uh, a plan that they gave to the governor, abiding by everything that he wanted. The public health um, uh, officer for Quincy wrote it, along with doctors. And there's a sense that the governor is moving the goalpost. Um, and so what, people are very frustrated. It's infuriating that Quincy is treated the same way as Chicago. Um, we need to have a better approach. And so I have been critical of the governor on that. Poverty um, kills people, too, just like the coronavirus does. And if you don't give people the ability to prosper and thrive and exercise their livelihood, uh, you're going to have a whole slew of other problems on your hands. And that's what's been frustrating. This governor seems to be tone deaf to those concerns downstate. Uh- you put out a press release yesterday uh, suggesting that the uh, the state had withheld federal funds from municipalities. Now, in the first CARES Act, there was money set aside for local governments, but only for cities of 500,000 people or more. So effectively just Chicago here in Illinois. Why, why was not more done in the first CARES Act for smaller communities like Springfield, Peoria, etc.? And will we see more of that in uh, upcoming federal aid packages? 
Well, we need to. But but remember, in that first package, Jim, the federal government sent $4.9 billion in funding to the state of Illinois. And and they were to- uh, cities and municipalities under 500,000 were told at the time uh, that they would receive federal funding through through the state um, uh, through that $4.9 billion. And the report I cited yesterday was from the uh, National League of Cities that put out that Illinois has not been having that money um, filter down to the cities, you know, and that's affecting police and fire and city workers. So so that the money has to be spent that's not being spent. That's first and foremost. Remember, we spent $3 trillion, Jim, uh, the most we've ever spent in this short period of time in the history of our country. Let's get that money flowing. Let's get it down to our municipalities and cities. It, it doesn't mean we don't have an obligation or responsibility down the road to allocate more money. Clearly, though, there will be a time and place to do that. But again, we're not going to spend our way out of this, um, and we have to be very attentive right now to our cities and municipalities. Let's get Illinois to spend this money uh, today instead of waiting. Well, the uh, the, the League of Cities uh, report that you linked to do- doesn't actually say that the state was required to, to pass that through. It said they, they could, and obviously the state has its own needs here. Should Congress have made more of that funding uh, directly mandated to go to local governments? Well, I mean, I think there was a recognition at the time that much of that money would go to cities and states that were affected, particularly when you're in a shelter in place for eight, eight or nine weeks in downstate Illinois. That, that never happened, Jim. So I think as we look at future bills um, in, in responding accordingly, we'll make sure that that language is clear. What I've said is we ought to allocate um, the money directly to cities and municipalities instead of giving it to the state. I think our cities and municipalities are better stewards of of the taxpayer money than the state of Illinois is. The state of Illinois hasn't had a very good track record of being fiscally solvent and watching uh, uh, taxpayers' money. So I'm in favor in future bills of doing that and also making sure that none of the money that we send gets spent on um, the pension crisis, which was there well before we ever had corona. But but you do support additional federal aid to Illinois in addition to local governments, assuming that, again, it's not being applied to things like, like pension uh, reform or pension relief? The answer is yes. We have a responsibility and an obligation to help cities, municipalities, counties that have been affected. Think about it. They didn't have tax dollars coming in for eight to nine weeks. So the money to make up for that should be there to help with getting them through this difficult time. But the money should not go to, again, bailing out their pension systems or going to any type of fiscal mismanagement that occurred well before Corona. But yes, we, we have a responsibility to do that. Um, you've also criticized Governor Pritzker after he suggested that the state might withhold some of this aid, some of this federal pass-through money uh, from communities that were defying the uh, the stay-at-home order or defying the plan for reopening businesses. Yet President Trump has said pretty much the same thing. He's threatened to withhold aid from uh, sanctuary cities or from states that allow that. He's today threatened to withhold aid from states uh, that promote more vote-by-mail. So is the president wrong to do that? Well, if you saw, the president did uh, send the money to, for instance, the rapid transit system in Chicago, even though the city of Chicago has exercised uh, many of the sanctuary city laws. What I said is I I think it's really disingenuous for the governor um, to retaliate against cities and municipalities. And by the way, um, I have four elected states attorneys in my 20 counties, four or five elected sheriffs. 
that these are elected law enforcement folks in my district said, we are not going to abide by the governor's shelter in place because uh, the, 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 the medical evidence doesn't support that. And uh, we continue to hurt people's livelihoods. And so what, what I've said is we ask the language be put in there. The governor cannot retaliate, can't go after those businesses um, uh, by way of holding back money. That's just the wrong approach to take. Uh, moving forward, and uh, it, it, particularly in downstate Illinois. So you also think the president shouldn't be allowed to retaliate? I mean, because this is actually money for the coronavirus pandemic, and it's aid related to the coronavirus pandemic. Should the president then not be able to even threaten to withhold aid for unrelated issues like sanctuary cities or vote by mail? Well, I, as, as I just mentioned, he didn't do that when it came to rapid transit. But, but, he's, to, but he's still threatening it, Congressman. He threatened it again today on vote by mail for Michigan and Nevada. So should that not be permissible? Well, listen, I think states are the laboratories of democracy. I may not like what Texas does or Florida does or California, but I believe they have the right to do that. And I don't think federal funds should be um, held uh, against them because of that. Uh, let me ask you, too, about vote by mail, because, again, more states are, are looking to expand this. President Trump seems wildly opposed to it, even though he himself has voted by mail, as do many members of our military. So is there a problem with expanding vote by mail in the 2020 election? Well, listen, I think, again, you got to go state by state and figure out what are what what is the circumstances in that, that particular state that would cause them to change this. I'm in favor of leaving it up to states to do that. I don't think we ought to have a federal law uh, that applies to all 50 states. That's the bill we voted on, Nancy Pelosi's bill uh, last Friday that I voted against because she wanted to nationalize federal elections. I think Illinois has a great system in place. 45 days before, you can early vote. You can ask for a a vote-in ballot. I'm sorry, a mail-in ballot in Illinois. Uh, You have plenty of opportunities to exercise your right to vote in Illinois, I think we have a good system. I don't think that system should change. If if other states want to go that route because they've been affected more severely, like, for instance, the California special election we had just last week, it was all mail-in voting. If, if they need to do that because of that, we ought to allow them to do it. But federalizing national elections is not the right approach to take. But we don't know what the pandemic is going to look like in the fall. So wouldn't it make sense to at least have a provision now to, to make that option available to everybody? Like Michigan's apparently doing, they're, they're sending out mail-in ballot applications to millions of people. Uh, and, and at least let people know that that's an option in case things get bad, say, in October or, or even early November. Well, I think what I've always worried about with that approach, Jim, is ballot harvesting. If you can put criminal penalties in there that prohibit people from ballot harvesting, yes, I think you can look at that. But I think, again, I think Illinois has a system that works perfectly well. And remember, we voted in Illinois on March 17th, our primary, and that was right when Corona had started. Schools were closed on that day. So, listen, we were able to do that. We have voted during a civil war. We voted during... Uh, World War II. We have voted in other circumstances that we've had. I think we are resourceful and resilient enough that the system we have placed in Illinois, I think, is perfectly satisfactory to doing that. Again, I worry about ballot harvesting and shenanigans and fraud that go on that we've seen in states like North Carolina and California. And uh, you today, uh, Congressman Darren LaHood here with us, uh, announced you've been made co-chair of a couple of what what you refer to as pillars, in effect, subcommittees on a congressional China task force. Tell me what you're going to be working on there and uh, what are the implications as far as U.S. policy? Yeah, obviously, um, what happened with the virus coming out of Wunan um, is a big topic of conversation. 
There have been 340 pieces of legislation introduced in the Congress that relate to China. So I was proud that um, our Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, appointed me and 14 other members to the China Task Force. So we're going to come up with a, uh, a report on action items over the next four months here, focusing on China's espionage uh, and spying with our country, focusing uh, almost exclusively on uh, supply chains. Much of our medicine and pharmaceuticals are produced in China, figuring out how do we bring that back so we're never in the situation again, Jim, where we were reliant on China. Thirdly, holding China accountable for um, really being deceitful in terms of the virus, what happened, um, what the, the manipulation they had with the World Health Organization. Um, also, um, again, um, making sure that uh, accurate information is received through the World Health Organization in the future. And then competitiveness, right? Um, uh, competitiveness as it relates to cybersecurity, cyber theft, uh, much of that goes on with China. So uh, we are going to work on that um, a- a- over the next four months and come up with some action items on what we need to do. We need to hold China accountable to make sure things like this don't happen in the future and continue to remind people of the threat that they are to this country. Do you see China as an enemy of the U.S.? Because President Trump seems to go back and forth. One day he's lavishly praising Xi Jinping. The next day he's blaming them for the entire coronavirus pandemic. How should we be viewing China? Well, I think right now they're an adversary. There's no doubt about it. Um, until they um, uh, until they change some of these behaviors. Uh, but, but we also have to remember, Jim, to your point, we have a phase one trade deal, right, that helps our farmers. They're going to buy $200 million worth of product from our corn and soybean farmers uh, over the next several months here. So it is a um, it, it is a adversarial relationship right now, but it's one that's kind of like a roller coaster. It goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. It's down right now, and particularly because of this virus and the deceitful nature and the lying they were engaged in, they need to be held accountable for that. And I think there's a lot of bipartisan members of Congress um, on both sides of the aisle that feel the same way that I do. Congressman, finally, uh, before we let you go, there had been some talk. We've already pushed the income tax filing deadline to July. And I saw there had been some talk about pushing it back even further, maybe to October. Has that been discussed at all? Is there any chance of that happening? I, I think everything's on the table. I think, um, you know, again, depending on how people are dealing with this economic crisis, um, I know the IRS is looking at that. The Treasury is looking at it. We ought to be doing everything possible to make it as easy as uh, as possible for people to get through this pandemic from the economic standpoint. And I think uh, I think uh, if IRS agrees to do that, I think it's something we ought to look at. Congressman Darren LaHood, we'd really always do appreciate your time. Thanks very much for being here with us today. Thanks, Jim. Have a good day.